when they did get to a certain level of project, there is a pipeline that is, this is how you do it if you're working with people. And so it's good to practice this. But then there's also, are you actually going to do it if you have to do it that way? Because I think fun in a project is an underrated thing. Welcome to the getgood.cg podcast. This is the podcast where two CG artists document their journey of getting good. Along the way, we'll be sharing some knowledge that you can use in your journey of getting good as a CG artist as well. My name is Jaden, and this is Chris. Hi. How's it going, Chris? Ah, uh, you know, what goes? What is going? How go? What do? Well, lockdown is what do. Well, yeah, but we've started every podcast that way so far, so I just thought I'd start with a collection of rambling words that nobody can decipher. Yeah, nice man. Nice. <laughs> You're welcome. So what have you been up to in this uh, this fine day of lockdown? Oh, you know, just uh, getting through it. I've really got nothing much else to do but sort of work on my work. What, what did you call it the other time? The hyperbolic time loop where the only things that are important are the things that we give importance to? <laughs> yeah, pretty much. The lockdown in my city just got extended by another month and... Uh, Everyone else collectively is just like, no. And I'm sitting here being like, yes, yes, more time to sit inside without feeling like crap for doing so. Yes, more time to get good. I don't know. We, we don't really have an end date on ours, but eventually we get a third hour to go for exercise. So that's exciting coming up. Look <laughs> at that. Milestones in time. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I think ours is... It's like, we might end it in a month, um, but also maybe not. But we might end it sooner, uh, but we might also extend it out by another month. Uh, but it might yeah, end British. in a month, but it could be before okay. that, but it might actually be after that. So we'll let you know. That's the Victorian model. So. <laughs> I mean, that's everywhere at the moment. <laughs> Except for Sydney, where people are just screaming and there's fire. <laughs> classic and then you've got new zealand where you know sorry new zealand if anyone's from new zealand listening uh we kind of gave you this delta strain so my bad how bad i, I don't claim this we i moved out of new south wales fair and square <laughs> at exactly the right time hey i'm not in new south wales technically technically, technically. yeah so anyway moving on from covert political stuff uh how has your art journey been going chris uh, it's sort of circuitously, I think I alluded to it a little bit earlier, but, uh, instead of working in the work, I've been taking the opportunity because I'd sort of stalled out a bit and I was feeling a bit lost to work on the act of working, if that makes sense, to sort of put everything in a row and account for everything. And I finished that process up pretty shortly after the last time we recorded. Mm. And since then... It's been a matter of like looking at all that data that I put out there and just being like, so like, what do I actually want to do? What has been working? Uh, you know, what, what has the greatest, you know, chance of success with the resources I have? And just trying to be really radically accountable for that. Um, and a couple of decisions come to, uh, like, for instance, I was working on a couple of projects at the same time and I've linearized them in that I've, instead of quitting some to work on the others i've sort of put them behind each other so i finish one and then finish the other and then don't have to think about the second until i finish the first yeah yeah um, and so is which this might swap eventually but yeah. and so i guess that probably leads into our actual first topic of or our actual topic of what we're going to be talking today which is uh the struggle bus crashing the struggle bus or how to crash the struggle bus or dri driving the, the struggle bus and deciding whether to take the exit or crash it. What's that? What's that meme with the sign on it where it's like, you know, take a take a hard right hand turn. Skirt. <laughs> Struggle. Yeah. So we don't really have an official title for this topic yet. It'll probably be something related to the Jenga bus coming for you, except yeah. the struggle bus. But 
the topic that we're generally looking at today is how to figure out when you should just shelve a project or if you should Not- keep going and grinding out at it. Nothing but net on the too hard basket. <laughs> yeah, it's like, okay, is that the too hard basket or is that the stay on the struggle basket? Lizard brain doesn't want to wake up today. Yeah, yeah. So, Chris, yeah. how have you how have you been dealing with this lately? Uh, a lot of it, like I mentioned, it's radical accountability. Um, like I. I don't know what people want to hear from us generally, but I think when we're documenting the process around getting better at art in general, as well as CG art, there is, you know, what tools do you use? What is your process? What is your like workflow? That sort of thing that we do talk about. But a lot of what I find is an improvement is figuring out the mindset and, you know, figuring out yourself and how you're going to approach the work. Because if you don't know how you're going to approach the work, you can't make decisions about the work. So I think the defining factor for me in choosing whether or not I don't want to do something anymore because it's hard and it's taking too long, or I don't want to do anything more because it doesn't align with my goals. Well, A, you have to have goals to know whether it aligns with them or not. And B, I think any sort of struggle if it's true struggle like i would make a differentiation between a problem to solve and struggle and i think when you're facing struggle one of two things has happened either the project is too big for you to feel confident about it through to the end or the project itself hasn't been defined well enough for you to believe that putting the effort in is worth it. Yeah, I have definitely gone through that struggle very much recently, and I think I've found a pretty good way for me to overcome that. Before yeah. I go into that, have you have you got any more to say on that, on your side? Well, I was, I was going to say that the way it approached for me recently, with since I've been doing all of this... Uh, project accountability stuff and sort of getting it out there in front of me you know like a jigsaw puzzle and just figuring out how it all works i think for practice i just generally need shorter projects because i've got the attention span of a goldfish (laughs) and i just need to make sure that when i'm planning things though i'm attracted to longer projects i just need to be really harsh with myself and just say you know no you like finish something small okay you and then finish something else small and then what i tend to do is that i as i finish the small thing then i do something slightly bigger Mm. and slightly bigger and then eventually i get to a point where the size of the project is too much for me personally to even cognitively sort of hold in my head and then that's when i start to struggle so i really need to be harsh with myself and keep the project small and rapid keep the quick wins coming you see i don't think you like doing big projects i think you just like planning out big projects and then going just like clapping your hands like ah yeah all right well time to all that would all that would actually happen if i went through and made it was that it would be worse than i imagined it and i'm imagining it perfect so i don't see what the problem is here (laughs) and as a result (laughs) it is Pause for psychiatrist. Pause for universal psychiatrist facepalm. It is five years after graduation or whatever. Still getting good. Hey, I do things. (laughs) Don't worry, you and I, same boat, buddy. Same boat. Uh, I think, think, honestly, I think my skill set is better served to pre-production anyway. You got to be honest with these things. I think a bit of like visual development and a bit of production planning, that's a skill in itself. Yeah, and it's never the one that's hiring. <laughs> never. <laughs> <laughs> it's always the, the the jobs that are always in plenty are the technical nitty gritty, where it's like no one really loves to do this except for like a few people that really just. They, well, that, that's an industry thing as well, isn't it? Because it's like they get all of the people who they know they can take advantage of because they're still eager. 
they make them pay dues, as it were, until they can't anymore, and then they have to promote them. But, you know, a lot of those jobs that I was just talking about are, like, the... <laughs> a lot of the ones that are just going to get automated into the ground, or at least partially automated. So what you're saying is that I'm playing the long game, and I'm actually right. Um, maybe? Maybe? Uh, well, I don't know. What the long game is, right? You might have to pay your dues before then, so... I don't like paying dues, I like skipping queues. Respect the rhymes. <laughs> or pay the time. Uh, <laughs> well, we are incredibly white. Punchy today, yeah. Yeah, yeah, I think we're just coming in a bit white there. Um, anyway. For listeners of the podcast, my skin is translucent. <laughs> in case you couldn't tell by his sense of humour. Okay, that's it. I'm going to be talking like this for the rest of the podcast. You're welcome. <laughs> Please don't. So, yeah, I've been I've been in a similar boat to you, Chris, where uh, I was working on a boat, a boat project. Uh, it was like a small environment of a stylized night elf boat. And I think I was, A, being a bit too obsessive on it, where I wanted to have a really good polished portfolio piece. Which was fine to do, but I just think scope-wise, it was a little bit too much for me to handle, and so mm. I was just—I'm just trying to pull back. And I think I'm—I'm pr- pretty sure I'm pretty sure I mentioned this in the last podcast that I'm trying to do things in a different gear, where instead of you know doing a long haul project until it eventually finishes, I'm giving myself three days to do a small prop, so. The first day typically would be concepting. Second day would be modeling. Third day would be texturing. And, you know, if the first two days fall into the first day, then that's great. So it's just like two days of texturing. Uh, And so the basic idea of doing this is just really refining the process and refining the pipeline just so that once that pipeline has become cemented as it's like a instinct almost, and once I've got, you know, the instinct of painting a bunch of different types of textures, once I've got that all down pat, then, you know, the time that it takes me to do these and get it to a nice finished, polished level will start to get quicker and quicker. And then, mm. you know, I can branch out and do bigger things from there. So at first it's like the things that are going to be turning out a bit, you know, scrappy. But that the idea of that is just to really... It's just to you know get the process down as like second you know nature pretty much or instinct because I, I had that moment where I was like I can't I can't stare at this boat anymore I can't do it yeah <laughs> you had the artist equivalent of TV burn in yeah it's just <laughs> that the boat was burnt onto the my eyes like. I was, you know, I've learned a lot about painting wood. Painting wood has always been, like, my thing. A lot of hand-painted artists, there's always one texture where it's just, like, they really like to paint it. It's kind of, like, their thing. Mine is wood for some reason. I always liked grass and ground stuff when I was doing it. I always like to do, like, shaley ground and things like that. Oh, yeah. I'm going to give metal a try eventually. I always find metal is just rock with an estropy. Yeah, I, I'm not really good at painting those types of materials just yet. So I think I'm going, at the moment, I'm doing like a fantasy sort of mug kind of thing. So I'm going to do that mug. Hopefully it's somewhat good. Uh, and it's got like wood and metal on it. And so, mm. you know, we'll see how it looks. Uh, and then I think I'll focus more into metals for a little while. And then I'll, I don't know, maybe go to rocks or something like that. I'll just keep doing these small projects until the pipeline is good and I've got yeah. like a good taste of different materials. It's similar to what I was doing. Um, my process is pretty solid now, though, because since I did all of those um, workshops earlier in the year, I've sort of been able to contextualize like where the beginning is, where the end is, and what needs to be done 
not only to get it from point A to point B, but also what tends to make it better by the time you get there and what makes it easier. Mm. That's never really been my problem. My problem is once I understand where it's going, just sitting down, butt on seat, hand on tools, doing, getting it from point A to point B. And that's for me, that's the struggle bus. That's when you have to get out and push. Like, <laughs> yeah, I, uh... much easier when it's a shorter project. Cause like, for instance, the one that I was working on, like I'm not abandoning it, but I am shelving it. And that comes down to today's topic. When to shelve a project and when to keep pushing like your boat, I'm going to shelve this one because it was a full acting dialogue scene, which I did want. I, I, I wanted a full acting dialogue scene, which is something that I haven't had on my portfolio for some time. But I just don't think I have the muscle memory and the habit in place to take that through. Theoretically, hmm. it's fine. I'd done all the planning and I was sort of ready to pull the trigger but because I'd put a lot of work into the planning, I sort of didn't want to go off half-cocked with it. Yeah. I think I think the really good thing about doing short projects for self-improvement is that, first of all, you can turn out a lot of things. And what you can do is you can you can do a project and say, okay, I'm going to you know do it, the whole thing, but my main focus is going to be learning, uh, you know, this. So, you know... not only learning the pipeline but also uh, i'm going to focus on learning you know painting metals or for you it could be i don't know ear wiggling animations or something like that (laughs) well in in that case it was uh animating to dialogue but because i do also like it it got into this uh situation where the conventional wisdom is you have to be a good animator to be a good animator which means you have to have you know uh creature shots and you have to have body mechanic shots and you have to have dialogue shots but then also to do the job as a game animator, you have to have a bunch of implemented game animation sets, but that's not actually what they're necessarily looking for on your portfolio. So that really confused me for a while there. Like I wasn't sure what was worth focusing on, whether to be, you know, a fully rounded capable animator or whether to be the world's best game animator. And that duality was what I was really trying to like dial in and figure out what I actually wanted. Mm. Um, so Chris, yeah. For our good listeners listening, how would you say when is a good time to shell something? If someone asks you, like, I'm really struggling, I don't know if I should continue this or keep going, like, what, what is, what's something for them? Do you know, well, I think you do, because we mentioned it on the podcast before, the book Eat, Eat That Frog? Yes, I haven't read it, but I'm, I'm vaguely yeah. familiar with it. The, the, the main conceit is there's something you're avoiding, which is the hard thing, which if you just do it now, we'll get it out of the way and then you can work on other stuff. And so you're supposed to wake up in the morning and eat a frog because it's the hardest thing you're going to do that day and then everything afterwards is easy. Yeah, that's what I've been doing. That's kind of goes into the line of what I've been talking about doing like, you know, just an hour in the morning. Yeah. And so I think the time to shelve a project is when you know you need to eat that frog, when you're trying to eat that frog, and when you just kind of get it down. Right. And so would you say at that point, when you're trying to do something, you just can't get it done, and it's just taking you, you know, you've, you've put deadlines in place and you're just blowing past those deadlines. Is that, would you say, all right, time to step back, time to re reassess and, you know, perhaps reduce I, the scope? I, I wouldn't. I wouldn't step, yeah, like I wouldn't necessarily as a first instinct shelve it, but it's definitely time to have a look at the project itself and figure out if there's something that's a friction point that doesn't need to be there. Like maybe you can, like you say, take the scope back a little or um, deciding that you've gotten as much out of that exercise as you're going to get out of it and Mm. that you don't need to complete it, that's Mm. a good way to conclude a project, and that's not necessarily shelving it. And the closure you get from saying, I'm not going to work on this anymore, can be helpful. It's liberating. But that's... It's (laughs) liberating. When I I just said, you know, F this to that boat, I was like, I'm I'm free. I can work on anything. And and when I realized that, you know, if, if one of these props isn't working out, well, it's not 
fine. Like the, the, the only intention is to, uh, at this point, learn the pipeline. So if it comes out looking like crap, it's like, oh, whatever, I'll just start a new one tomorrow or, you know, whenever the three days is up. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that also feeds into the difference between a theoretical pipeline and an actual manageable workflow because I mean, we talked, we did talk about this a little bit last week, but the main problem I think I run into and that I can imagine other people run into, and to some extent I did see this with my students when I was teaching at the university, when they did get to a certain level of project, there is a pipeline that is, this is how you do it if you're working with people, and so it's good to practice this. But then there's also are you actually going to do it if you have to do it that way? Because I think fun in a project is an underrated thing. Yeah, fun. Did you say fun in a project? Yes. Yes. I I mean, none of us would be doing this if it wasn't fun. To some extent. Like, if you weren't getting anything out of it, you wouldn't do it. And I think what can happen is people go into it with that intention. They're like, because it's fun and because I think it's bad that it's fun because I'm supposed to be taking it seriously for work, I should have a proper serious big boy approach to it. Uh, yeah. I need to take it seriously. And as soon as you do that, then you start saying, okay, so this has to happen, then this has to happen, then this has to happen. And then there's a friction point or a bit you like to avoid, but you can't get around it. And, you know, you should be doing it, but then you really don't want to. Yeah, it's um, when, you're, when you're doing it for fun, it, you're not really setting, you know, specific goals to take you forward in life. Like you, it might be taking it, doing art if you want to be an artist and you're doing it for fun mostly. It is going to take you forward. But if you don't, you know, define goals and figure out where your friction points are and what might hold, be holding you back then. And I also think that that's possibly, it, it's possibly easier advice for some people to take than others. And I think the reason that it sounds like a revelation coming from me <laughs> is because I don't really do that. Like for some people, it's like a no brainer. It's like, well, duh. of course it's supposed to be fun. Or like I wake up and I live and I breathe this stuff. I just do what I do. And then because of the volume of what I do, I both get better and get eyeballs on it. But that's not how I naturally work. For me, it's all about like positioning and plans and goal setting and lists. Yeah, I, I've got a friend. And I find that I, ca- I can end up sort of tying it up a bit. It's sort of like emotional red tape at that point. <laughs> and it turns more into like project bureaucracy than it does into something that you're actually proud of. Yeah. I've got one of my friends, he's, he's also down in Melbourne and he does, uh, spit paints almost daily. And he, it, it's a part of a goal and where he, he was, he wanted to have a hundred spit paints done, I think this year. And he recently surpassed that. And he's, he's been doing spit paints for, for longer than just a hundred spit paints. He's been doing quite a lot, uh, for a long time now. And he's mostly just been doing it out of fun. But there is the general goal of he sort of he he wants to make money out of art somehow eventually, and he just had that goal of a hundred spit paints. But he's mostly just doing it out of fun, and he's the sort of person where he can just kind of take it forwards. And I think the thing with the spit paints for him is that it has allowed him to focus down parts of his process where he can say, okay, well I'm you know this isn't going to be a nice rendered piece. It's just going to be something where. I can say, I want to learn, you know, composition out of this or whatever. And, you know, bang, you do that 20 times or, you know, say five times and you are exponentially better at, you know, that one particular thing in painting than you were before. Yeah. I'm pretty sure I've used this analogy on the podcast before, but there's that study where they did where they got a bunch of pottery students and they told one group of pottery students to make as many pots as they could within a time period and they got another group to all focus on the one pot and just make the absolute best pot they possibly could and in the end of the day the last pot made by the quantity group was of a 
better quality than the quality pot by the quality group? You can get obsessive. <laughs> you know, it, it, I, it, there, there's always that debate of quantity versus quality. And as much as I love going into quality, if you don't go into quantity sometimes, you miss out on chances of experimentation. And I think that's the key. I think sometimes you forget when you're going into quality. Because, like, you know that whole beginner mistake where they go into details too fast and they don't work on the main forms? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, like beginner sculpts where they just... They've got skin details in them, but... It, it's, a, it's, a, it's a sphere and it has fully textured eyebrows because it's supposed to be a face, but it's still just a sphere with eyes on it. Yeah, look, we've all been there. Yeah, like, I'm not saying it's bad or wrong or anything, but that's, like, the... I think that's the same impulse that applies to project setting. It's, like, you f- you get drawn into quality, whereas yeah. what you really should be doing is holding yourself in quantity. And that's something that I fight with a lot. And I think when you get drawn into quality, your expectations for the quality balloon out. And I think there's a point where the, the horse is kind of bolted and you're not really going to get the project scope back because your, your idea of what the project will be and your taste for that project is so much higher than your ability to bring it there that I think that's when you need to sort of put it in, put it in the... Uh, put it in the fridge to chill a little you know like because <laughs> yeah. I, I feel like at that point you need to have forgotten some of the things you wanted it to be yeah you must have to like diminish your fervor for that project a little bit more so that when you come back to it you're less precious with it oh yeah totally i <laughs> you're just making me think of this boat project over and over again of just <laughs> how much time i wasted when realistically the thing is, I never would have learnt this if I just if I hadn't gone through this process. So overall, it's a valuable experience. But I just <laughs> the whole time then I was just thinking about like, damn, I feel like I've wasted so much time plugging out on that boat. Like I feel like I've learnt a lot in terms of texturing and like good polishing processes and all that sort of stuff. But damn, I spent a lot of time on that, and I don't oh, know right how worth it you. was. Yeah, right there with you because like. The realization I had for my, because my overall project was the showreel that I'm working on, but through this process that I've just put myself through in accounting for all the things that I was doing, I've realized that I can't really sit down to make a showreel because it's making a product for a client that doesn't exist. You're supposed to give yourself clients. Obviously you can't, you know, always have a client to be getting that quality of work. But what I realized that by by setting out to have quality pieces to go in the showreel, I was slowing myself down because I wasn't practicing and I wasn't polishing. I was trying to do them both at the same time. Yeah. And so by separating out the practice and then the polish, that's what's going to actually get me there faster. It feels counterintuitive because then I have to be doing different things. Mm. I think... But I just don't think it's possible to sit down with the intent to make your best work. I think that what I'm realizing just now is a good way to consider, you know, learning is to learn the broad strokes first. So learn, you know, the broad stroke of the pipeline of like you start in this and then you go to that and you go to that and you go to that and you just practice that pipeline. And, you know, as you go, you just learn like all the things that are just, you know, the broader things that, you know, is going to be consistent over. Maybe it's artistic choices or it's uh, methods, you know, technical methods or whatever. And then as you go, that broad stroke gets finer and finer and finer until, you know, you've practiced, you know, the pipeline, you've practiced getting fast, you've practiced all those other bigger things. And now you're practicing, you know, doing all of that plus, uh, you know, going and zooming in and, you know, painting in like really small details. And so I think that's probably the value in that. And that once you get to that point, that's when you can start saying, okay, time to do like a full time to do my best piece. Yeah. But I think your best piece will be drawn from 
the best work you've done in the other mindset as you get better and as your projects get more ambitious. If that makes sense. Yeah. yeah. I feel like you don't sit down to, to make your best work. I feel like by following that repetition of process mm. and making things easier to get further, faster, eventually you get into a territory from where from that quantity you're pulling out quality as your best work. And I feel like sitting down to make your best work is actually a fool's errand. Mm. Definitely one that I've been focusing on, but that's sort of one of the things that I've come to realize is not something that I should be focusing on. And so practically what that means is that I've separated the two and now I do animation exercises to practice animating. But then I also have a project that I'm working on and in both of those things, I'm trying to preserve the fun a little bit more because that's what was slowing me down before as well. You just weren't having fun. Dry. Sorry. You just weren't having fun. Yeah. If you make it too cut and dry, if you if you just follow that process over and over again, you you learn very quickly what you need to do more of, and you start steering towards that. But very quickly, what it becomes is just a list of things that you're bad at. And so it's like, you know, Clockwork Orange, where they've got the clamps on the eyes and they're holding the eyes open and he has to watch the, <clears throat> he has to watch the movie. Yeah. Um, and he can't turn away. It's sort of like that, but for all of your worst, you know, qualities. <laughs> and so what you're doing is you're, you're forcing yourself to turn up every day, stare down the barrel of your own incompetence <laughs> and then prove it. If there isn't fun involved in the process, you're not going to come back and do that every day. Yeah. And honestly, I'm finding that that's right. I'm finding these smaller projects to be a lot funner, even though a lot of them are very scrappy and unfinished. It's I'm having more fun with it and I'm getting more, you know, sense of satisfaction out of it as well. It's just. And yeah. And for me, what that represented was, what I was doing, I was stripping away a lot of the other elements of CG art. I was trying to very, very linearly focus on character animation Mm. where I would have a model and a rig supplied by somebody else. I would have, if it was a dialogue shot, I would have the sounds provided by somebody else. I would take away all of the other elements, possibly with the exception of the rendering, which I think is why that was so distracting to me Mm. because it was a creative enterprise apart from the thing I was supposed to be focused on. Mm. But by stripping all of those things out, yes, you do get to target the skill that you're trying to work on. But if you then also make that a month long enterprise that you have to then keep showing up to with no deviation, it gets boring. Yeah. I think you're not that it's not what you're in that for. You want to do your bit, but you also want to see a whole thing at the end. You don't want to just feel like you're doing reps, like at the gym, you want to feel like you're creating something of note. Yeah. And I think sort of going back on what you'd said just before is that when you try and do one big project and you try to do your best work, you're trying to get to one big win all at once. And you're staking a lot on that. So, you know, it just keeps going on ballooning. But at these earlier stages, what the best thing to do is to scale things back. Instead of trying to get one big, gigantic win, you scale back and just get a bunch of little wins. And then, you know, after... It's like one of those uh, pictures where you've got all the photos, but then you zoom out and it creates another image out of the different sort of colors. Yeah, more or less. Like you... You just scale it down to get a bunch of small wins, and after you know three weeks, a month, two months, you know those small wins have stacked up to be a bigger win than that original big win that you wanted, and yeah. you've gotten and so and much more satisfaction most, out of it. Do you know what the most frustrating part of that is? What? I already knew that. <laughs> I just forgot, <laughs> and that's what I'm getting. At. I think that's the point. I think a lot of the time when you get into the weeds on these things, it's very easy to forget where you started and where you're going and what you need to do in the middle. I think because if you've forgotten the start and you've forgotten the end, you don't know where you are in relation to anything. Yeah. And it's hard to tell what you've actually done wrong. Mm. And I think that's probably the, this is probably the value for us in doing these podcasts because that was something I hadn't thought about until I actually went to speak about this whole topic. And it's 
you know, I could write it down and that's how I could figure things out. But I think that's the value in not only that I, you and I get from this podcast, but I think it's probably the value that our listeners can get from it so that we can make these mistakes and these revelations and then sort of pass that on to them and they can go, cool, we don't need to, uh, you know, beat that dead fish or, yeah. you know, beat that horse for... Don't, don't, <laughs> make, don't make our mistakes. Yes. It's like, it's, it's the shortcut to don't make the same make mistakes twice. It's let somebody else make that mistake for you. Yes. Okay. Everybody listening. Okay. Here's the deal. Here's the deal. Right. You're all listening. Cool. All right. We've made these mistakes. Don't make them. If you're a beginning. An oral history of getting good. An oral history of getting good by Chris and Jaden. Don't make our mistakes. <laughs> this is audible. Yeah. But. Yeah, if you're if you're a beginning artist and you're, you're trying to figure out, or, or maybe you're you know already a good artist and you're trying to you know sh- shift laterally from say I don't know environment art to character sculpting. I think we've or, got an even split from the from the engagement we've got, and I think we've got intermediate guys and girls coming up, and we've got some people who are coming from something else and trying to move into something else. And for all intents and purposes, I'm pretty sure that's the same person, just from a different <laughs> perspective. I know we, guys, if you want us to, if you want us to uh, include you in these ge- sweeping generalizations, please like, comment, and subscribe so that we know who our listeners are. We do like to bring that into the podcast because we like to know who we're actually talking to. Helps us sort of moderate the content. Um, so if you're a, if you're a beginner coming up and you're finding this useful, let us know as well because I think I th- I think we are more in that intermediate era where you're in that muddy middle and nobody really knows what they're doing and everybody's just grasping at straws. <laughs> All right, so should we do like a little bit of a conclusion before we wrap up? Sort of tie a little nice bow around it. Uh, well, I su- I suppose the original question was how do you know when to keep driving the struggle bus into the desert yep. and when to sort of just call the rescue helicopter? Yeah. And I think, I think at the end of the day, the point is that if you can't remember where you were coming from and you don't know where you're going and all you've got is the thing that you're at at the moment that you're holding onto very tightly, I think that's time to shelve it. Yeah. Because at that point, You've got too much of yourself pushed into this one thing. Mm. It might get there eventually, but it's going to get there so slow that if you'd just done nine other projects in the meantime, you would have gotten to that quality level and had all of that other experience as well. Yeah. And at that point, you just got to ask yourself, is this worth it? Should I just... Is trying to go after this big win... and Like, is this a big win that I'm trying to go for? And... Is it too much for me to handle? Is it worth it? Should I just scale back and try to get a bunch of small wins that will equal out to, you know, an equally as big win or even bigger? And as as a small aside, um, I think environmental factors can influence that as well. Because, for instance, if you're paying for your software on a subscription basis, you might feel worse about throwing away work than you would otherwise because you might be able to actually calculate some of the resources that you're giving up by doing that but that's sunk cost fallacy yeah and i think that other environmental factors or less environmental more sort of you know lifestyle or families you know if you've got a family then you know time those smaller wins way more valuable because if you if you've got three kids it's going to be way harder to do some big ambitious project especially especially not, ex- not exclusive but especially if you're a beginner artist if you mm. break those down to be something smaller then you know you can pump these things out and you can get those wins faster you know between you know your kids doing whatever it is that children do there's, apparently there's a guy i've been following called sterling reams He's, uh, I don't really know what to describe him as. I wouldn't call him an influencer so much as like a industry speaker on topics on social media. He says, I had a, do you call it a conversation if he replies to a comment of yours? 
uh, an interaction, I'd say. An interaction. I had an interaction the other day. And it was a really interesting one because his whole point was that he thinks that the internet and the way it's set up right now and social media is very distracting and that you're supposed to be a sole producer rather than consumer. And I'm sorry if I I'm sorry if I'm paraphrasing that against and putting words into his mouth, but that was the vibe that I got from this post that he made. And I said, well, that's an interesting thought because I was, uh, it got me thinking about a lot of this stuff uh, that we've been talking about today. But what do you think about the quick wins? What do you think about when you need that little bump of dopamine, you know, like when you need to post something there and have an interaction and, for me specifically, this came from a point where I had done a quick sketch. It had taken me about maybe 12 minutes. Um, it came out pretty well. I put it on Instagram. It got more interaction than some of the animations that have taken me a month and a half. Huh. Right? It's always those I don't know ones. What, yeah, it's it's never a good place to be. And even like my wife wanted to keep it. You know, like it's the, it's one of those things that took you very little effort. And then it gets a lot of engagement. Was that the just, sketch of the flowers that you put up? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. That, that, that was 12 minutes? Yeah, something like that. 12, 12 to, let's say, quarter of an hour to 20 minutes. It was like an all-day job, but okay. <laughs> well, thank you for that. Uh, but the, the, the main point was, and he came back and he was like, yeah, like I, I've done some basic simulation stuff in Blender. And that's had more interaction on social media than anything else that he's done. He's a pretty prolific animator. Um, the, the main point was that if you're a beginner, he thinks you should be quiet and you should be working. Like you should be head down. It doesn't mean you shouldn't be producing quickly. It just means that you shouldn't be producing performatively. Because there's only two things that performance get you. It gets you eyeballs and it gets you, you know, spectacle, which is pretty much why everybody's there in the first place. Mm. But it also gets you feedback. When you're a beginner, you kind of don't need the feedback. You just need the reps. Yeah. Yeah. You just need to go to the, go to the gym, pump out some dumbbells. You need, you need a teacher. Like yeah. you need to be taking in information, but you don't need people to be like, oh, you know, the eye here, you know, you could can it up a little bit because it looks a bit more like it would be, you know, this kind of thing if it was up this way. Like, you can't get that kind of detailed information from a critique when you're a beginner because mm. the advice you're going to get is going to be more like, hey, maybe try basic shapes before sculpting the face. <laughs> you know? Like, it's yeah. going to be general stuff like that. And you don't need to be on social media to get that there's much better ways to get that yeah and you see I, I've, I've seen beginner artists trying to push their social media before and you know they'll, they'll be pushing hard but they've got two followers <laughs> and it's just because you know it's this well, isn't a dump on this definitely isn't a dump on beginner artists it's just because they're at such a beginning phase where it's like you know the the feedback as you said, it's always going to be the same where it's like, you know, practice shapes before you do faces or whatever. Let me push back on that a little bit because I'm a terrible artist on social media. Me too. I'm probably at the level that you're, you know, critiquing there in, in a lot of cases, maybe a little bit more advanced, like comment and subscribe because, Hey guys, I need it. <laughs> <laughs> but I'm a terrible social media artist. Cause I don't, I don't, see people in that regard as my audience so much i see people for the podcast as my audience but when i'm just making art i'm making art because i want to make art i've never been able to transition that into knowing who it's really for and that's sort of the process that i'm working on but that's more of an intermediate problem to have does that make sense like yeah it's it's not so much about the fact that you are trying to build your social media it's it's the way you are when you're trying to do that. Like there will be beginners that have a thousand more followers than I do, but it's still beginner art. And I would say that the over under on them spending, you know, several like tens, tens of hundreds of hours of quiet work before coming back and doing anything with that would be a lot greater 
the earlier they are in their career. Like, cause the, the, the more your art gets to a particular point, the more you get into that muddy middle and then you do need to scream for attention. But until you're there, you really shouldn't be like blasting the foghorn. Cause then if you do get eyeballs, they're just going to roll off and worse. They might remember that next time. I don't think that they'll remember it that they might remember it, but I think it's mostly forgivable, but yeah, I think it will be sort of rolled off. And you know, if you do get a reply, it'll be like, you know, practice shapes. It definitely works that way with recruiters. If you send a portfolio into a recruiter, nine times out of 10, they'll keep it. Not because they're considering employing you, but because when you reapply in four years, they want to see if you've grown. Yeah. 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 That's a good way to look at it. Cause I suppose they will. Some people will remember it in terms of, you know, how much you've grown and, you know, that can, that can be the value that some artists or, or some people will follow you know, more beginner slash intermediate artists and watch them grow. But I don't think anyone's really going to follow absolute beginners unless they can kind of see like some growth and some pattern and progression there. Yeah. And I think, I think there's a certain like a, a gene or something that people have where they might be a bit more of an instructor at their heart and they kind of like that vibe so that you will get people doing that. But to sort of circle back around to the point that I meant when I brought this up um, that the, the interaction I had with this, uh, this guy on social media was it's pretty much the difference between knowing when to get quiet and execute and when to talk about it. And I feel like the more quick wins you have, the more you can balance that. And I feel like when you're in that muddy middle, being able to balance a bit of attention with still getting your skills under control is important. And so not being a consumer in that you're sitting on Twitter scrolling, but being present in those spaces, it does become a little bit more important. Yeah, I'd probably agree with that. Yeah, I think that... Because I feel like that also helps you overcome some of the struggles if you do get feedback. Because if you do the same thing over and over and over and over and you can't figure out what it is, or you don't even know where to start looking for the thing that you think is a problem that you know is a problem emotionally, but you can't see it. Hmm. It's really helpful to have trusted people coming back at you with that. And I think that's a gradient, right? When you're a beginner, you don't need those eyeballs. You just need to work. When you're in the middle, you do need those eyeballs, but they need to be trusted eyeballs that are interested in what you're doing already so that you can actually get proper feedback. Then as you transition into a more notable personality that's when you lose control over that and it's sort of just everybody's there and it's sort of like <laughs> public space yeah and and it, this is coming from two guys who've got like what 70 something followers on twitter please follow us I, we need yeah, it probably yeah <laughs> i don't know honestly it's not a metric that i follow very closely yeah um because i haven't put a lot of effort into it um yeah i'm working on setting up some things like uh, my my personal YouTube channel and that sort of thing. More to come on that in the future. Me too. But but because I'm putting some work into that, that's the sort of stuff that I'd be looking at the metrics. And like because we're putting a bit of work into this podcast, that's the sort of thing that I would be looking into the metrics and trying to actively grow that. If you're just present in a space, I don't really care. I just want to... I just want to look professional enough in that space <laughs> that if I ask a question, it might get answered, you know? That's what I find, yeah, most frustrating with those sorts of things. It's like if you ask a question and it doesn't get, it doesn't get any responses. It's like, yeah, I just want to answer. Because you know you just don't matter at that point. <laughs> it really sucks. Especially because these algorithms, they put you in this space to make you feel like you're part of that conversation. And especially for me, like I listen to a lot of podcasts. And so a lot of the time my brain tricks me into thinking that I'm sitting at the table there with them. I have a lot of thoughts about what they're talking about. I haven't said anything, but if we were there around the table, I probably wouldn't have said a whole lot either. Like, so the, the, the social differentiation there, the, the parasocial relationship can trick you into feeling like you're being rejected by your peers even though you're not really in that space. Yeah, yeah. I, I've gotten that. <laughs> yeah, I've gotten that vibe where 
you list, you've listened to the same podcast for, I don't know, like a month. And then after that month, you're just like, all right, yeah, time to go and listen to the pod with the guys. Oh, no, wait, no, that's not it. Oh, no, no I, I don't actually know these people. Oh, God, I'm a loser. <laughs> Maybe not that extreme, but it can get, I was, it can I was get, exaggerating, but yes. Yeah, it, it can get to that point. And it it is, it is a lot. I think that accounts for mm. a lot of the... Um, you know, depression and anxiety that a lot of people have in these spaces mm. because they want that kind of conversation in their local space, but all the people around them are just talking about the latest sports ball game and they don't, you know, give a crap about composition, composition, light and color. Yeah. I mean, when people are talking about sports ball, I'm just, that's when I glaze over. Yeah. And, and that's, that's what the internet's good for. It does put you in these spaces, but you do need to, put yourself in there and make yourself available because otherwise nobody knows you're actually there. You feel like they should because you know you're there, but they don't. <laughs> and so that would be an excellent point to just say, guys, don't be parasocial. Talk to us. We're available. You can email us, chrisandjaden at gmail.com. Or leave a like, comment, and subscribe and just let us know what you think. Interact with us. We're always looking to you know, get to know our audience. Otherwise, it's just going to be more of us rambling about our personal circumstances. And as fun as that is, uh, we would very much like to sort of direct this more towards a broader sense of uh, universal people growth. Yeah. Yeah. All right. So, Chris, where can they find you on socials? They can follow me on Twitter at AnimatorChris. And you can find me at on Twitter at JSTO underscore art or on Instagram at Jaden.ray RAI. See ya. Bye. imagining that this episode is called driving the struggle bus <laughs> so that's what it's going to be called in the title card you can clickbait that up as much as you want the struggle bus is coming i'm like i'm like this close to making that a, part of a youtube channel the struggle bus <laughs> hello everyone and welcome to another episode of struggle bus where i chris Drive the struggle bus. We like to struggle. We like to live the struggle. In a ditch? No way!